Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome. Good gardening. And before Mr. Kelly gets out of here, yes. uh, you were saying that, and I don't, this, go, this is going against corporate procedure. Uh oh. But if you have any gardening question that you want me to answer, I'll be glad to do it right now. Okay. Uh, we have a lot of shade in the yard, uh-huh. a lot of shade. And so instead of grass, we're getting a lot of moss. Right. And I love it. I think it'd Absolutely. be great to have a carpet of moss. How can we uh, encourage its growth and so it fills in and becomes a mossy yard? Well, basically, what you can do is either get some really harsh yogurt, mix it up with some small pieces of moss, and just pour it in some of the open spaces, or you can do the same thing with buttermilk. Buttermilk or harsh yogurt? You know, just plain yogurt, that stuff, if you put it in your mouth, it kind of, like, burns. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I you know, I did that very thing, and I grew moss on red bricks. Really? Yep. And so you mix that in with the moss. In a blender, yeah. In a blender, yeah. and then, like, pour it out? Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. Yes. That saves me a phone call. Now, I hope I don't get fired for breaking corporate procedure. Oh, I, nobody will say anything. It's between you and me. It is? Good. Yes. I'm glad nobody's listening. <laughs> <laughs> yes, folks, thanks for stopping by, and we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you want any, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Saturday morning is our time to discuss your yard, your landscape, Brian Kelly's moss scenario, or houseplants, potting mixes, soil improvement, pruning bugs, diseases, planting, removals, and uh, how to make those best choices. Remember, my words are to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take an effort on your part, both either mental, or I should say either mental and or physical. This is a marathon. There's no just quick sprints, except there is. That's why you go and buy those pots of mums. And you're going to get a couple of weeks, maybe 7 to 14 days of flower or color out of those. And then hopefully they're going to survive the wintertime. But the chances of them surviving the winter is somewhat limited. I'll tell you one secret, though. If you're going to get a pot of moms, you want to ultimately plant it in your landscape. Look at the stem as it's coming out of the potting mix while it's still in the pot. If you see some little leaflets right there, the chances of it you know, actually getting established and making it through the wintertime is going to be much better. And with anything that's fall, blooming, flowering, or whatever, leave the stems, everything, even after the foliage looks horrible, after it's finished flowering and everything else, because that will help protect the crown of the plant. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you being here. And thanks to Greg. He's producing today, and congratulations to Greg. He just moved into a new home, so he's really excited about that. So I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations, and I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. During the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and you can 
My phone number and email is both right there. Today, I will be going to St. Charles and then coming back to Lafayette Square. So I have two walk and talks after the show. And uh, boy, today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. One of my favorite places to be as the sun is rising. The silhouette of the trees with the sun coming up in the east yeah, boy, they were re- the silhouette was really great this morning because there was a wind, and the clouds in the sky almost appeared to be blue-gray, so that was really a plus. This is Bell Reef Park. It sits on top of the Mississippi Bluffs, and below, down in the river, the tugboats were pushing the scows. Scows? What's that? Well, that's a, more or less a barge that doesn't have a motor or anything. And uh, the walkway in the park runs north and south with picnic tables, benches, offering views of the massive oak trees, which dominates the east side of the park. On the west side, there's spruces and pines and all kinds of other deciduous trees as well. Leaves are starting to drop. The fence that runs on the top, sort of the edge of the park to keep people from getting too close to the bluff, there's wild grapes and vine honeysuckle all over the place, naturalizing the fence. And uh, people, uh, they just love it. The clump, there's actually a clump river birch there that has five trunks. That's rather unusual, I think. And uh, the playground, yes, ready to go. Leaves were falling and seeds as well. Both ash trees were dropping seeds and maple trees as well. Kind of a nice touch as you watch them all come down. There's a gentle calmness to the river's water as it was headed south towards New Orleans. It was mesmerizing. And then the uh, building, which has restrooms, or restrooms, yes, restrooms, uh, stucco, very peaceful and very nice. Just a great time to be at um, Bell Reve Park this morning. And, uh, you know, that early in the morning, I usually take my good gardening stroll around 6. It is pretty dark. So, I mean, I like to go there because of the river and the east side, you know, looking over towards the east and the sun. But, boy, it'd be kind of tough to do some of these good gardening strolls with it being so dark. But, anyway, time to go. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or one 800 Is that what it is? I think, yes. No, I know that's what it is. I've been doing this for a while. But anyway, and the phone numbers have never changed, I don't think. They've been the same since I've been here at KMOX. And uh, let's go to Wentzville for our first call and go into Shirley's yard. Hi, Shirley. Good morning, Mike. I have a couple questions. Um, I haven't yet put out uh, my uh, weed and feed and my grass seed. I'm wondering if it's too late and then what order I put them out. Yeah, you don't want to put weed, weed and feed down at the same time you're putting grass seed. Even though, in theory, weed and feed kills broadleaf weeds, it could really do some, let's say, detrimental things to the grass seed as it germinates. So you should just put your seed down and then put a seed starter fertilizer with it. And then next month, you want to put down a winterizer, and then in November, another winterizer application. But don't put an herbicide down. And especially this time of year, the herbicides become less and less effective. So I would say skip that and save that until next year. Okay, that's on the weed and feed. Yes. Next year, okay. Uh, also, uh, 
when's a good time to uh, transplant peonies? Uh, basically, you can do it from this point. Get it done before probably mid to late October. And uh, September is really the ideal month. Okay. Uh, do I cut the tops off? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's just, but, you know, just make sure if you've had great success with them as far as flowering and everything else, you're moving them to another location that is very sunny, and also make sure that you do not plant the, the actual peony roots with the eyes uh, too deep because that can really mess up the whole flowering cycle. So if you look at them, you want to dig it up, the whole clump, let it dry a little bit, maybe for one day before you move it to the new, new location because right at first the root systems are really kind of like dry sticks and you can really do some damage to it. But uh, just let them just sit above the ground, even maybe near the new location. You don't have to do it there or not, you know. But then just make sure that you look at them, clean kind of the top, brush it off gently, and see where those eyes, kind of like potato eyes, are. And you okay. want those about one inch or so below the surface. Okay. They, uh, I have grown them for a few years, and they've been great that they were too full last year. And they end up getting a fungus uh, or that milky on, yeah, I the powdery that. mildew. Yes, but um, and they look rather puny right now. But um, I'm hoping they'll come out of it. Right, and you know the location. If you've had great luck with them, the powdery mildew. Some years, generally, the peonies are most of them are going to have that kind of you know unfortunate circumstance. That uh, that's just one of the diseases naturally that happens with the peonies. And if you've had them for 13 years without having it, and all of a sudden with this year you have it, you know. Um, transplanting them is not necessarily going to mean that it's not going to get the powdery mildew again. Okay. But and if you do in the future, get you know start seeing powdery mildew coming, wait until, don't do it as immediately when you see it. You can put a fungicide on the foliage, but also don't let the foliage just sort of dry and fall in place because that can inoculate the ground for you know, powdery mildew next year. So you okay. always have to cut those stems off when they start turning brown and discard them. Don't just leave them lay. Okay. Very good. All right. Thanks. Thank you very much. Sure. Enjoy, uh, enjoy the show. Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. Let's stay close by to Winsville and go over to Warrington and into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hi. Good morning. So now that you've told us how to grow moths in our yard, I want to know how to get rid of it. <laughs> Basically, you can't. Yeah? I mean... There's no, no chemical or, or lime or anything like that that you put down to help get rid of it? No, because generally the soil chemistry is just to the point uh, that... that there's just there's too many things going on that allow it to happen. So consequently, I mean, you can fool around with lime. You can do all kinds of different stuff. But in reality, you're not going to get rid of it. All righty. Thank you. I, I mean, realistically, you can put lime down, and it, you may deter it for a little bit, but it's still going to come back because the whole setting is ideal for the moss to be able to grow, whether it's in a bed situation, whether it's in a lawn situation, or anything else. So if you cut some trees down and let more sun in, will that help also? Uh, yeah, cut the trees down and then wait for a couple years because... You know, I mean, the moss is there for other reasons, just be, you know, because of, not necessarily just because of the shade. It's a soil chemistry, too. So if you're serious about this, 
Get a soil test done, find out what your pH is and everything else, and start from sort of the basics. Okay, thank you. Yep. And uh, I, the screen went blank there for a second. Greg came over and he moved the mouse. Oh, that's all I had to do. I didn't move the mouse. So anyway, let's go from, let's go to St. Louis County. Norm, how are you today? Uh, pretty good. Is there any way to get a, rid of persistent honeysuckle other than digging it out by the roots? Uh, there's a gentleman that called, and I think he called from Wildwood. He said there's a product called Tordon, T-O-R-D-O-N, and it's ready to use. He uses Tordon to get rid of honeysuckle. I, you know, for years, how I've gotten rid of it personally, and when I lived in Webster Groves, I had I lived along a creek. I had all kinds of honeysuckle there. What I did, uh, I just cut it off at about two feet, and I paint, I painted Roundup on the open, you know, wound right after I cut it. Then the Roundup was sucked in. But Tordon, he, this gentleman, I don't have any experience with it personally, but he swears by it as far as getting rid of honeysuckle. Thank you. But yeah, and if you do do the Tordon, realize, read the label carefully because it does say watch out because it is systemic. So it's going to go down into the ground. And if other trees that you're trying to save are woody plants, you know, the root systems, you know, grow together, then that could be problematic for the other tree roots as well or other shrub roots. So just realize that. Okay, and now let's jump to Illinois for the first time and go and see what's going on with Chuck. Chuck, how are you? Mike, good morning, sir. Hey, Mike, I've got uh, a backyard that has now uh, has a level of mature trees that I'm, I'm starting, as you said, to, to lose the grass because it's, it's in a shady situation and the trees are starting to suck all the moisture out. Right. So I've heard you talk about hostas and then variegated and non-variegated hostas, so... I want to turn a large part of it into uh, like a hosta walking garden or, or whatever. So what sh- should I stay away from the variegated hostas or, or, or go with the, the solid leaf? It's up to you. I mean, it's a personal choice. A lot of people like the, you know, variegated ones. I just find they're just not quite as strong or as healthy. Now, I have a couple that are, you know, variegated, uh, but uh, make sure that you get ones with larger leaves. That's, you know, more crucial. But, I mean, I like the ones that have the bluish-gray leaf, like Big Daddy, Francie, Francis Williams. That's a personal choice. There are plenty of variegated ones. Just kind of stay. I, I do have, because I gave a talk for the Hasta Society a couple years ago, they gave me a dwarf hosta that is variegated. It is, you know, it's done okay. So I can't, you know, when I make these broad sweeping statements like no straw on your grass seed or anything else, this is just with my own personal experience. And my hosta experience goes back to my time at the Botanical Garden in the English Woodland Garden. I saw just through the years, not necessarily that the variegated ones were going to, let's say, die off or anything. They just sort of lost their aesthetic appeal much, much quicker than the ones that had a solid color leaf. Got it. Okay, Mike, thanks. You, uh, and then all I need to do is keep the rabbits away from them, and it'll be good. Thank you, sir, very much. <laughs> well, Shiloh, you may have deer, too, and deer love them, especially if we have a dry summertime because that's high moisture content for both of them. Got it, Mike. Thank you, sir. Yep, and why don't we take a break? Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. 
Yes, folks, if you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. As the temperatures drop for today, they're actually going to go back up. So the soil is not going to cool down all that much. So in theory, grass seed should have been put down, let's say, towards the end of August through September. You may still have an opportunity to put your grass seed down and have some good germination rate. But realize with the grass seed, if you've got really bare areas, it's not going to infill. And don't and read the label as far as or read the instructions with the seed. Just because you dump a whole lot of seed in one spot doesn't mean it's going to be that much thicker because of the germination rates and everything else, and pile up on top of each other is not to the advantage of actually having a thick lawn. If you're trying to get areas repaired or whatever or established using grass seed, realize it's going to take a couple years of applications of seed in May and September both, and th- there's no getting around it. It doesn't matter what you do. Even if you core aerate, even if you compost, all that's to the advantage of the lawn in the long run. But initially, you're still going to have to probably put seed down at a couple different circumstances. So let's head up north to Florissant and go into Jerry's yard. Hi, Jerry. Hey, Mike. How you doing? I was just wondering, uh, when's the best time to split the hostas? Uh, basically, the foliage is probably just now maybe starting to, let's say, decline. But you can do it from this point forward. So you've got between now and probably mid to late October to get it done. Okay, thank you. Yep, and just cut all the leaves off. And when you dig them up, you're going to be surprised at how big the root systems are. So if you want to dig up the whole clump and split it, that's fine. If you just want to take a pie wedge out of the existing clump, that's fine as well. So thanks, Jerry. And now Bill from O'Fallon, Missouri. Hi, Bill. Good morning. I have a uh, crepe myrtle that this year, suddenly, about two weeks ago, all the leaves are turning almost black. And it's never happened before. So has there been any changes in your landscape or anything? If the leaves are turning black, that's not a good, you know... You know. uh, basically, no, other than it's in an area that has a lot of moisture to it because of uh, the location of my property to the one next to it. Uh, right. Their sprinkler system puts a lot of water out and stuff like that. But uh, it's raised up a foot off the general ground in a bedding area. And um, this has never happened before. It doesn't look good. So I don't know if there's any cure or it's on its way out. Yeah, there's, it's you know it's hard to tell because it sounds like even if there is a, you know more than adequate amount of moisture because it's in a raised bed circumstance, the root system should not have been impacted by that. There wasn't any like kind of lawns you know I don't want to say lawn service, but nobody applied any kind of herbicide that may have drifted on it or anything like that. Correct? Not that I know of. Okay, no. I would say just you know there's not really too much you can do about it. Other than the fact that once, if the leaves are black, I would just go ahead and cut all that off so you don't have to see it and watch it. Just cut it down to about six or eight inches and wait to see what happens next, you know, next year as the foliage emerges and then finally the flowers start coming out in the summertime. Okay. So, I mean, yeah, don't rush out. Don't try to spray anything. Don't put anything in the ground or anything else. This just sounds like kind of a freaky circumstance. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a logical explanation, but that's kind of how the plant world is. A lot of times there is not a logical explanation. Okay, well, thank you. Yep. And as much as we scientists of plant material like to think we know it, but there's too many 
crazy things that can happen. Let's go to Hillsboro, and that's where Diane lives. Hi, Diane. Hi. Um, I planted pumpkins from seeds that, uh, from a pumpkin from last year, and they bloom constantly, but that's all. It never sets any pumpkin on. Why would that be? Oh, let's see. You, they have to be you know, cross-pollinated. So if they're not being cross-pollinated one way or another, then it's, you know, that's probably what happened. So next year, if you do the same thing, you get a lot of, let's say, flowers, go out there with like a Q-tip and get some of the pollen off the stamens, which is a long thing that sticks out further. Uh, that's the male part of the plant. You're going to get that pollen and then take it and put it on a flower to, you know, down sort of in the center part of the uh, actual flower. So the female part is in the center and it's a little bit lower and it has a sticky top. That's what the, where the pumpkin actually, or the pollen sticks to. And maybe try to do some cross-pollinating that way. It won't do it itself. I mean, it won't pollinate. Generally, they should. And why this one is not, I'm not exactly sure. There's blooms constantly on it, but then that's the end of it. It doesn't set any pumpkins. Yeah, if there hasn't been any pumpkins by now, then what time? When did you put the seed in the ground? In the spring. Oh, so you've done everything exactly as you should. And it's been all this time and not one pumpkin. So the the only thing I could think of is maybe this particular variety of pumpkin that you chose was a sterile variety. So in other words, it doesn't have the male and female parts in the flower both. And then consequently, because a lot of the hybrids, a lot of the ones that have lumps and bumps and this is and that's, they're hybrids and they're not, you can't really grow them from seed. Even though the seed looks healthy, the seed comes up and does everything. They just can't be pollinated, so you can't get pumpkins out of them. Maybe that's it because there's numerous blooms. This is blooms great. Right. But that's the end of it. Right. So uh, my guess is it's got to be some kind of hybrid and that's why it's not happening. I thank you very much. Certainly. And, uh, yeah, I mean, there's some great different kinds of gourds and pumpkins and everything else, but this is just a prime example. A lot of these things are just, I mean, they're virtually hybridized, and the flowers are sterile. They'll flower, but, you know, that's going to be pretty much it. It's kind of like I grow a lot of sweet potato vines, and a lot there's a couple varieties that have a lot of flowers on them. I mean, they really look neat. But I've never seen any kind of seeds form from those, you know, the flowers of the sweet potato vine. So now let's go to George in St. Louis County. Hi, George. Good morning. I got a problem. I got a, my front yard looks horrible. I got a good crop of a Bermuda grass. What can I do besides move? <laughs> I talked to many landscapers that, you know, just got to tolerate it. I, don't know. I have no idea what I could do that, but the Bermuda grass. Yeah, probably what I would do is I would give the lawn doctor a call and just have them come out and take it because there are specific chemicals. Now, you don't have zoi- the Bermuda's growing in with bluegrass or fescues or things like that, correct? Correct. It's not growing in with Bermuda. I mean, no. with zoysia. No. So if it's, you know, if that's the case, there's actually specific kinds of herbicides that will kill the Bermuda that won't damage the other cool season lawns. So I would, you know, again, give the lawn doctor a call and have them come out and take a look. Now, where are they located at? They're in St. Peter's. St. Peter's? Yeah. Because I've talked to many people, and they said either move or uh, (laughs) dig down about three feet and hope for the best. No, you don't have to do that. I mean, you you could do it. I'm just saying these guys are, I mean, they do it with an organic control type circumstance. But I would say 
you know, it's got to be some, there are chemicals that can handle Bermuda without damaging your other lawn as long as it's not zoysia. Okay, well, give them a call and try because it's pretty unsightly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I've I talked to many, I, I have my, my yard cut, I have it done by, plus I have it serviced by uh, Evergreen, mm-hmm. True Green, and uh, And they're it, telling you to move? They don't have, I mean, they should be able to tell you which, no. you know, use a chemical. No. Well, I'll call this, this long doctor, see if they say. Yep, that would be the best thing to do. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you know, it's a question of, you know, it's really aggravating and everything else. Because once Bermuda's in, if you don't have a golf course, then you don't want Bermuda in your yard because it looks very different, especially if you have cool season lawns. It kind of blends in a little bit with the zoysia. It doesn't look quite as pronounced. But if you got cool season, it's uh, it's dramatic. And you wonder, how in the world did this get here? Well, birds love Bermuda. Lots of birds that make nests will pull Bermuda out of places, and they could be flying over your yard. And this shows you how tough Bermuda actually is. And drop a piece, and that piece could, depending upon the season and everything else, root and then create a colony. So that's kind of what you're looking at. The other thing is, you know, just have get it. I mean, I'm just surprised that your lawn service didn't offer something other than telling you to move because that's really a surprise. But uh, anyway, getting a soil test done, that's what really should be done this time of year. If you have any kind of, let's say, concerns about any part of your yard, if it's lawn, then just take the soil samples from the lawn areas, not necessarily the damaged areas or anything else, just the lawn area in general because you want to get a background check on what kind of chemicals. If you, if you have garden spaces, you need to have a, sort, a soil test done for all those spaces beyond just the lawn. You can't mix all this together. And realize that the situation... This is through the University of Missouri, through uh, there's agricultural school. Soil pH for most plant material needs to be acidic to have the best growth. So in other words, that means between like 6.0 and 6.8 or 9 or whatever. 7, 7 is neutral. Anything above 7 is alkaline. But the plant material wants to have it where it's going to be acidic. You think, well, how can that possibly be? Because all these years of Lyme and everything else, well, we've had people call or people have emailed me, and they've had a soil test done, and they said their soil test indicated their soil pH was 5, 5.0. I can't imagine how that could possibly happen, but it obviously did. They had the soil test done. Then you're going to have to add Lyme to get it back up to the point where it needs to be, but that's going to be in the six-point ranges. Anything above that, you're kind of creating a nightmare for the plant material, regardless of what you're trying to grow. The exception to that is lilacs. They like an alkaline soil. Clematis like an alkaline soil. So there are some plant materials that like a more alkaline soil than other ones. So that's kind of what you're looking at. So just make sure that you get soil tests. And the soil test can be done through the University of Missouri Extension Service. And just you know, contact the extension service. Ask them about you know the let's say how to take the samples, where do you drop them off, and everything else. There are also you know over in Illinois, there's places in Athens, Belleville, and basically those two that do the private companies that do soil testing. 
So check that out as well. Just go online and look for soil testing in the metropolitan area and see where they recommend you take the samples to. And then also contact those people or look on the, the website and find out exactly what, the, you know, what you need to do to take the soil. Let's go to Scott in Crystal City. Scott, how are you today? Pretty good, sir. How are you doing? Very good. Um, yeah, I have one question. Um, we have, my mom has three homes in Crystal City that, that my uh, father-in-law and her, you know, invested in and stuff. But the original house is, uh, there, there used to be a tree there and I'm not really quite sure what tree it was, but the front yard, there's a hill and there's some grass that grows up on top of the hill, but the hill itself is just bare. It won't grow any grass. And the city came and they dug up a pipe and stuff. There was something wrong with it. And they seeded it and it started to grow and it died again. And we took a soil sample when he was alive and, it, you know, there, it was low on certain things like pH and whatnot. But the backyard grows beautifully, you know. It grows like my hair, you know, like constantly getting a haircut. And I got to go up there and cut that. But the front yard is like, but the neighbor who I'm friends with, has zoysia, okay? And we were thinking about mixing lime and stuff like that together and spread it out, put the seed out. Do you think that would uh, make his lawn come over to that hill? No, not necessarily. How long ago uh, was this tree taken out? Um. Oh, my goodness. This is about 10 years ago. Well, so then it's not related to the tree root system. But basically, if somebody came through there entrenched and everything else, that yeah. subsoil that came from the bottom is probably on top of the surface, and that's probably having a huge impact on why you're not having successful seed in there. The seed will germinate, oh, okay. but longevity factor as far as getting down in there. Probably what I would do is you know go in there and put a couple inches of compost and mix it in rototill or, how, or shovel or however you want to do it with yeah. the existing soil, then put some grass seed down with seed starter-type fertilizer. So what you're, ba you're, ba what you're saying basically to me is, is a novice about that is, like till that whole area and rip that that uh, ground up a little bit. Right, and, and then, then mix in. Okay, and then mix in. Right. Okay. Okay. So I was just wondering because it was uh, it's been a kind of a hassle because the grass grows around it, like by the bushes and stuff, like right near the house, and it grows down by the uh, sidewalk. But in the middle there, where the hill goes down, it's just bare. It's right. Just it's it's uh it's what it is is uh, just dirt, you know. <laughs> so that just that indicates the soil is in really, really bad shape in that spot. The compact, you know, compaction level and everything else. That's why you're going to physically work it up with a rototiller. Then you're going to okay. add organic matter and then mix that organic matter in with the existing soil to start in, in you know the improvement factor. Okay, and is the constant watering even during the. Uh like, what's the best time to do that, do you think? Uh, basically, the best time to do it would have been this month. You know, oh, okay. I mean, so, and especially on a hill, you just got to understand that you know, erosion could be very much of a factor as well. Yeah, yeah, you're right. We do have a lot of runoff down there. So yeah. what you need to do is maybe get some, improve the soil like I talked about, but only do it in sections at a time. Let's say like oh, okay. the bottom, you know, 25%, start down there and see if you can get some established. And maybe okay. mix in some pieces of sod with this, too. 
once you get the soil improved. Oh, I think, yeah, just lay, lay a piece, a couple pieces of sod in there and see if it expands a little bit. Right. Is that what you mean? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, just wondering about that. Yeah, we were trying to figure out uh, what the best way to do, and the city said they're going to come back and they put straw down there with seed, and that didn't really take at all. Right. You know? Well, and, that's, uh, you know, certain circumstances. So this is, sounds like just a very tough spot. Well, thanks, Scott. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. Yes, folks, any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Headed to South County into Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hi, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, I've noticed in the last couple of weeks that the front of my uh, in my front yard that the grass is dying. So I'm out there today scraping it up, and I think it's with grub worms because I found a couple. Even though I did put stuff down in the spring for grub worms, um, should I go ahead and plant seed now? Is there anything that I can put down to make sure that the grub worms don't come back? First, now, or do I wait for the spring? Okay, basically, there's five grubs that are here. There's only one of those five that really does damage to lawns, and it only damages bluegrass. So you have bluegrass, I'm assuming. Well, I had zoysia, and I don't know what I have in there now, but I don't think it's bluegrass. <laughs> well, if it's not bluegrass, then it's not the grubs. They can be there, but they're not going to do enough. They're not going to eat enough root systems or anything else to really damage, let's say, fescues or zoysia or anything else. So the simple okay. fact that you see them does not necessarily mean that they're causing the real problem. So the problem is, you know, related to something else. And, you know, consequently, you know, I mean, for grubs to be actually doing damage to even bluegrass, when you, let's say, they're going to cut the lawn to the point where you can lift it up like a piece of carpet. And generally within about a one square foot area, there's got to be several in that one square foot Again, to be able to do damage to uh, actually is going to kill your bluegrass. And if you don't have okay. bluegrass, they don't, you know, they just don't do anything. They're there, but they're not the ones that are going to do damage to a lawn. Okay. So every so grub is I not the same. So should I just go ahead and rake it up and replant it? Yeah. Rake it up and get the seed down as soon as you possibly can. Cover it with a, you know, put the seed down, cover it with a, let's say, a half inch or an inch or so of compost or, you know, and then put some, once the seed starts germinating, put some seed starter fertilizer down with it. Okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. Have a good day. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it, the problem is not, again, not related to just, you know, occasionally seeing a grub. So, you know, it's, okay. a, it's a tough one out there. Having lawn here is the most difficult thing, most expensive thing in most people's landscapes. So... It's a tough. It's just, I mean, it's really hard. Let's go now to Peggy in Creevecourt. Peggy, how are you? I'm fine. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh, good. Um, thanks for taking my call. I live in a neighborhood, ironically called Nottingham Among the Trees, and my oak tree out front is not doing well. My mom lives next door. Her oak tree had to be taken down, and I was looking through the neighborhood, and so many of the oaks are just... They're not thriving, and I don't. Is there anything that you know of that's invading our area that might, or what? What do you do? It's you know, it's it's really sad. 
Yeah, the unfortunate thing is the oak trees in general, there's not like a major disease that's wiping them out. Let's say like emerald ash okay. borer or something along right. that line. Nothing. Right. How about, is the leaf color just not good or what, you know, what's... Well, what? my particular instance, the tree, we, we have it regularly deadwooded and we had that done about two or three years ago and it looked fine. It looked great. This year it's browning early, it's losing leaves and some of the branches are completely bare. So it's, it's headed toward you know, disaster, I think. Right. It may be. But probably what I would do is just get, you know, a landscape service or somebody to come out and do what I call deep root feeding. And that's where they're going to auger holes and then fill those holes with compost. What you're doing is you're building the strength of your soil up. And gotcha. consequently, it's it may be the soil, even if you're putting fertilizer down and everything else, the soil right. is just not adequately taking care of your oak trees. Right. Okay, that's a great idea. I didn't think of that, and I will take. I will do that. Right. And call you, I'll call you back and let you know. All right. Great. Yeah, it's called Thank deep root so feeding. Yeah, it's a shame the whole neighborhood. I mean, among the trees, the trees are leaving us. Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I love your show. Well, thanks, and thanks for having me on your show. And speaking of oak trees, right as I look out the window here, we're right next to the Soldiers Memorial. There is one oak tree among several. And this one's foliage is really yellow. That indicates the soil is not good, the pH is not good, and the tree, this tree, is probably not salvageable. But let's see. Frank, can we do it kind of quick? Yes. Uh, hey, on the crepe myrtle that the guy called in about mm -hmm. turning black, mine's doing the same thing, but I, I, I recognize the problem. Uh, it's not oyster shell scale, but it's either, what is it, thrips or it's thripes and and uh, I know they're there. There's all kinds of specks in black, and it's very, uh, there's a lot of residue, uh, waxy kind of uh, residue on it. So I've sprayed it with seven a couple times. Uh, what I don't, that didn't seem to affect them at all. Uh, I guess I'll have to try something else, but... Uh, it's definitely doing the same thing the other gentleman called in about okay. on the crepe myrtle. Well, I'll okay. tell you, thrips, they feed on the underside of your leaves. So and if that's you're. That's where they're at. That's where they're at. Yeah, so you've got to spray the underside. To spray the top and their content, you have to use, you know, I mean, I don't know about seven, but always when you, you know, applying anything, read the label and make sure that it's going to be effective against the thrips. Because right. what they do is they have a lower jaw that scrapes the underside of leaf, and that's what causes the speckling. I've never seen the thrips actually turn foliage black. That's why I was a little bit, you know, but obviously you found it and everything else, so I certainly appreciate you giving us a call. Yeah, uh, it's just another option for him to look at. Right, okay? and, okay. and with most of the insects... It's, you know, the underside of leaf is where they actually feed, so there's no getting around. If it's sticky yeah. and waxy, there could be a couple different kinds of insects there as well. So, I, I mean, usually crepe myrtle is pretty insect-free. So thanks a lot. Thanks again, Frank. And if anybody else has any questions or concerns, well, I will see you after the news. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the second hour of the Garden Hotline. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120, and you'll get in line with your questions, comments, or concerns. 
Thanks again for having me on your show, and we can talk about the annuals, the ups and downs, and all around. How about your bulbs? If you have purchased new bulbs, spring flowering bulbs, it's a little early to be putting them in, my personal opinion. And as I always say, my garden path is not the only way to go. Some people say you should put your any of the bulbs in early, except the tulips. They should go in sometime in mid to late October. I think all of them should go in at that time. Uh, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, ups and downs and all arounds of your perennials, like the lady who called about her peonies. After 13 years of great success this year, she, they had powdery mildew like major amounts. And she was a little bit depressed about that. Roses, trees, shrubs, vines, and water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please, again, remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but offered as an option to consider. Greg is producing. He's doing a great job as usual. And during the week, I do landscape consulting. And uh, if you'd like for me to come to your home and take a look at aesthetic problems or problem solving with the plant material, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. And on the homepage, there's my email address and phone number. Today, after the show, first I'm headed to St. Charles, and then I'm headed to Lafayette Square. So, Coming back into the city. I'll share 40-plus years of experience in the outdoors. Now, a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trial goes out to all the different plant societies. The gentleman that called and said, you know, realistically, I cannot get, you know, lawn to grow because of the shade factor. And I told him, you know, my opinion on, you know, the hosses that I prefer. But realize probably the most information about specific plant groups is going to be for from a plant society. So you can go to mobot, M-O-B-O-T dot org. That's MissouriBotanicalGarden.org. And they list all the plant societies. And many of them have their meetings right there at the Botanical Garden. One of those happens to be the St. Louis Hossa Society. There's also the Evening Herbalist. There's also the Water Garden Society. There's all There's different rose societies, too. We've had a situation, I was at a house this past week, and they had Rose Rosette on their roses, and it was you know, kind of tragic, and they said, well, what should we do? I said, get rid of them, because they had other roses close by, and, you know, I mean, it's spread by spider mites. So the Rose Societies are going to help you. If you're interested in something a little bit more unique, the Bonsai Society, like maybe Mr. Kelly, as he gets his moss really, really going, maybe he'll get into Bonsai, and he'll have moss growing on his little Bonsai dishes with his Bonsai trees. There's all kinds of different plant societies, and they're all over. You know, some are specialized in plant, you know, exa- or specific plant types. Other ones are just, let's say, garden clubs. And a club doesn't, sound, you know, that really isn't just that doesn't sound right. But uh, let's say, I mean, there are going to be a lot of people that are knowledgeable in a lot of different things. So tip of trial goes out to all the different garden clubs and plant societies here in the region. So. All kinds of stuff going on in the outdoors. And this is the transition time. I mean, I took my good gardening stroll this morning at Bell Reef Park, which is right where Bates and I think Broadway run into each other. So it's on top of the, you know, the bluffs. And I don't know exactly the trees, but on the other side of Broadway, there was a bank of trees that were already starting to turn bright red. So my guess is just from the color, it was maples, but I couldn't swear to that. But soon, you know, soon we're going to start to see some good color on some of the trees. So uh, 
you know, I, I, this year it was really, really rough weather-wise and everything else. Rain, you know, coming, drowning everything, and then all of a sudden really dry spells. So the plant material, you know, that has made it through, I mean, it's really tough, tough, tough stuff for the plants to survive. The work you do is going to make a big difference on their survivability. So let's take a call or two before we go to break. Gerald is from Ellsbury. Gerald, how are you? Yes, fine. How are you doing this morning? Very good. Yes, I got a question about azalea and clematis. And the question is, is it too late to plant them and how hardy are they? Uh, You're asking about azaleas and clematis? Yes. Clematis, no. I mean, I think you could get them in the ground. Uh, The azaleas and the clematis like an alkaline soil. So also, you know, they should, you know, they'll come with a tag probably. Read the tag because it's going to tell you exactly, you know, the best way to plant them. So you might throw a handful of lime into the soil. Mix it in. Don't just, you know, set the pot down in there. But the ground is still pretty warm. You should be able to plant pretty much anything. Now, the azalea, that's the exact opposite. They like an acidic soil. So, you you know, I mean, you've got to be conscious of that. You change the soil pH to make it more acidic by using iron sulfate. The sulfur changes the pH and the iron is there so the foliage will stay nice and green. But azaleas are roll the dice. Usually people put them close to house foundations or sidewalks. And the sidewalk, the alkalinity of the sidewalk or the foundation of the cement is, you know, can be problematic for the plants. Okay, one other question. We planted a, a blue moon wisteria earlier this summer and it's one wonderfully climbing up our arbor. Now, should we uh, put mulch around that to protect the uh, roots for this winter or will it do fine it should be fine but putting an inch or two of mulch around it wouldn't hurt because we just don't know what the weather is going to be like and that way it just offers a little bit of insulation and for any mulching it's a little bit premature because what happens is mulch will keep the soil warmer and if we keep the soil too warm this time of year, it can prevent some of the plant material from going more dormant because the soil temperature is really what triggers the dormancy. The length of daylight and everything else is all you know, is very important with that. But uh, wait for another couple of weeks and then put like one or two inches of mulch over the root system of your wisteria. Yeah, I w- I've noticed that a lot of people do want to mulch in the spring of the year, which is fine. But if you have a hot, dry spring, well, that's making the ground that much more hotter and drier. Right. Uh, fall or early winter thing in order to protect the roots of the plant. Right, exactly. And also with the mulch, you're probably better off to water the area first before the mulch goes down because there can be some dehydration as a result of the mulch. Yeah, it'll wick right up into the mulch and take it out of the ground. Exactly. Okay, all right. Well, thank you for your time. Certainly. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. KMOX, keeping you up to date with frequent weather updates 24 hours a day on News Radio 1120 KMOX. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, questions, concerns, or comments 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. Cindy lives in St. Louis. Cindy, how are you today? It's fine, Mike. How are you? Very good. Um, I have a quick question. When's the best time to um, prune a fire bush? You mean like a burning bush that turns red in the fall? Basically, you can do it any time. If... You know, you get the maximum amount of color by leaving all the leaves on it. But through most, most of the wintertime, you can prune it. 
And through the you know the fall, you can do it at that time as well. They're pretty tough. They're pretty durable. Anything that can end up as a planting in, uh, let's say, a retail area parking lot is tough. So they can take it. Normally, I recommend waiting until we're coming out of wintertime. That would be, to me, the ideal time to do it. But if it's causing you problems because it's overgrown the space and it's blocking part of your sidewalk or something, as soon as, let's say, the leaves have turned color and they start dropping, you can prune it at that time. Okay, great. Um, and just one other comment about the gentleman um, uh, last hour that had that bare spot and is on the hill and stuff. Uh, at a previous house, we had a gas leak, and that poisoned the soil. Ooh. <laughs> and it, he mentioned that they had to do some trenching or some digging. So right. If it have, was a gas line-related thing, you know, he, he might have some very bad soil there. Well, that's a good insight because I've even seen trees that have been killed by gas leaks, underground gas leaks. Sure, and that's what, especially in the city, on that little space between the street and the sidewalk. Yep. Happens a lot. Okay. Great. Well, thanks, Cindy. Let's go now to Wentzville and into Dan Jard. Hi, Dan. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. I don't know if you remember me, but I'm calling to tell everybody, first of all, how great your walks and talks are. You came out to Wentzville a few weeks ago, and we walked my property in the rain. You remember that? Yes. <laughs> and uh, fantastic experience. I learned a lot. You saved me a lot of money. But I forgot to ask you about one plant. Um, I have a fig tree that's inside, and it used to blossom very nicely, and it would actually have a few small figs on it. It was given to me as a gift. And... Um, I took it outside thinking, well, maybe if it germinated, the figs would be bigger. And it has not done well since I brought it back in. It's got a few leaves on it, buds on the tips, but not near as as prosperous as it was. Any ideas what I can do? Are you fertilizing? Um, I haven't until this week. I thought that might be the next thing to do. Right. I mean, that's the best thing you can do. But don't over-fertilize. And just you're just going to have to watch it kind of closely. What kind of fertilizer should I use on a fig tree? Basically, just it doesn't really matter. Just an all-purpose, you know, let's say, like a miracle grow type thing. You okay. don't, we want to make sure that the nitrogen, the first number out of the three major numbers, is fairly low, like a you know a ten or something like that. Okay. Okay. Well, anyway, it was a great experience. You saved me a lot of money. Remember, I had some ground stumps that people had left, and I couldn't get grass to grow. And, right. And and you tell me, just put some ornamental over it, and that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recommend it highly, you guys. It's worth every dime. Well, great. Well, thank you. Greatly thank appreciate you, it. See you later. Yeah, and the check will be in the mail. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's see. Did you get his address so we can send him that check? Let's go now to Greenville, Illinois, and see what's going on with Terry. Terry, how are you? I'm fine. Good morning. Hi. <clears throat> I've got uh, a uh, 12-year-old white pine tree that uh, last year I noticed some bagworms on it and uh, treated where I could reach. It's about 15 foot tall. And uh, uh, this year, I mean, the bagworms really took it over. And and, uh, I was wondering if there's anything I can do in the fall of the year. Is there anything that you could uh, uh, do to to, uh, slow it down from happening again next year? No, basically, those bags that are hanging on your trees now, there's nothing in it except eggs. Those eggs will hatch next spring, and then you have to watch, you know, and it's hard to put a date on it because it's just all weather dependent. 
When those eggs hatch, they're going to be like miniature bagworms crawling on the tops of branches. So to spray just the bags, you're not doing anything at all to kill because there's no insecticide that can penetrate those bags. So you need to spray in the springtime when you see the crawler stage of the bagworm and spray it directly onto them or else you're just kind of wasting your time. Okay. Uh, uh, the, the problem I have, it's tall enough to where I can't really reach it uh, with the kind of equipment I've got. Right. Uh, uh, I sprayed <clears throat> I sprayed the uh, as low as I could get this year, but it, it didn't seem to help. Uh, and like you say, I was probably doing it wrong. I didn't, I didn't get it at the right time. So to be honest with you, it's, they're just going to get worse and worse and worse. I was, I forget where I was. Oh, Tracy was at a doctor's appointment. I was walking around in between the buildings cause I didn't want to sit around a doctor's office and they had a couple different spruces, blue spruces that had so many bagworms on them. They were almost totally defoliated. So bagworms can be really devastating. So I mean, there's not, there's really not too much you can do. You know, if you can't get the spray up there, I mean, you you don't want to necessarily have a big ladder out there and climbing up every day during the springtime, watching for the you know the hatchings to start happening. So it's there's really you're kind of you know handcuffed. Okay, well you're telling me that uh, we're looking at taking that tree out. Probably, exactly. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, you don't have okay. to take it out now. You can wait until it starts really looking bad. But just understand that there's not going to be a way to get these under control. Yeah, I understand. Thank you for your help. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, I hate to be brutal. I mean, there there could possibly be some injections and things like that. But the tree service is going to have to come out and do it. And I'm not even sure if there's an injection that would actually be effective against the bagworms. The reason the how injections work is it goes up through the vascular system and then finally out in your situation out into the needle. So if the young hatchlings of the bagworms would chew on a needle, then in theory that should kill it. But I don't know if there's you know if that's going to be effective at all. So sorry, Terry. And now let's go to Frank and Festus. Hi, Frank. Oh, not might not be Frank. Hey, no, it's Mike. Oh, sorry, Mike. How are you? Yeah, good, Mike. Hey, I listen to your show. I like it. I get a lot of good answers. Um, I think I may have gotten one from a previous caller. It was about Thrips. Am I pronouncing that correctly? You mean the Thrips? Thrips. Yes. Thrips. How do you how do you spell that? T H I R P S. Okay. Oh, well, this is my situation. I have a black walnut tree. It's about sixty to seventy feet tall. Produces apple-sized walnuts, Whoa. and I'm very, very happy. Um, and I think I might have that. They're like on the underside and the top side. It's a little black spot on the leaves, and they almost look like a little like a sea crustacean. See, you probably have scale. Scale. Yeah, it sounds more like scale. If it looks like kind of a, a clamshell or something like that. Yes. Right. So you have scale as opposed to thrips. And with the scale, you can spray. I mean, your tree is so huge, I don't know if you're going to be able to do this, but you can spray like a dormant oil on them, or you can, during the winter time, what you can do is the dormant oil would be applied sometime around Valentine's Day. So right as the foliage is coming out, and what this dormant oil does is suffocates the scale. 
So there's going to be scale. There's going to be some on the leaves, yes, but there's going to be some that are you know just kind of on the branches and stems, and the dormant oil will suffocate that. That's probably the best way, but your tree's so huge, I don't even know if that's going to be all that effective. Yeah, exactly. Take a uh, pretty good uh, pressure washer to reach anything <laughs> up that high. Or you aren't like kidding. That. Yeah, yeah. Oh, bummer. Um, now, it, you know, I've done some um, some some good maintenance on it. I've thinned the tree down. Um, we cropped it there many years ago to keep it from falling over because we don't want it to fall over. Right. Um, and I hear good things about uh, mulching the bottom. Uh, you know, but I just don't see how mulching the bottom, a small area, would help, you know, keep the tree in place for a longer period of time. Um, is that true or not? Yeah, what you're thinking is just right. I mean, putting mulch down is not going to do anything, for especially a tree this large. I mean, the root systems go way beyond. They go The root systems obviously start in the trunk, but they go beyond the drip line of the tree. So, I mean, it should be very well anchored, I would think. You know, if you're getting... You know, walnuts, and I mean, the walnuts are not exactly apple size. It's that hull that's over the top of them, correct? That's correct. Yeah. My great-grandmother had a walnut tree, and she had a hand crank, so whenever we'd visit her, we could, you know, help <laughs> help her and my great-grandfather with, you know, cranking it to take that hull off the actual walnuts. Yeah, um, we're actually going to uh, start harvesting. Uh, we've been picking them up, and um, my daughter just got her driver's license so uh, I'm going to have her roll over them um, a couple of times and take that husk <laughs> off. And... <laughs> That's a good one. I did, you know, like I said, my gra- great-grandmother had this hand crank thing, and, I mean, it was brutal. That's why I got big right. biceps because of that. <laughs> right, right. Well, you know, we get several buckets of walnuts a year. I tell you what, they sure are good. And, yep. and that was the first time I heard of that because it leaves all that uh, dark dye on your hand. Oh, you, know? you aren't kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, trees, how much fun we can have, right? Absolutely. And, you know, again, look online at scale to see if that's what you have. And if it is, the dormant oil, if you can even just spray some of it if you want. But it sounds like if the tree is as healthy as it can be and it's that tall, it, I don't even know if you know, controlling the scale is going to make that much difference. Right, right, right. Well, we don't want it to fall over during a storm or anything right. like that. So I've done everything I could to... Uh, prevent that like i said trimming the tree down and uh um, thinning it out a whole lot there for the wind to pass well sounds perfect well good luck with that and enjoy your walnuts hey we sure will thank you very much for the information sure mike miller kmox garden hotline back after these messages this is the st louis composting garden hotline with your host mike miller on kmox yes to the phones we go and pat from crestwood how are you today Hello, Pat. Are you there? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I have three quick questions. I'm going to have my lawn aerated and seeded, Mm -hmm. but I also haven't used my Step 4 of the 4 program. It's a winterizer. When would be the best time to put that down? Probably after the seed is at least about uh, three or four weeks old, so sometime in probably around Halloween. Okay. And the next thing on caladium bulbs, this is the first year I planted any. So when do I take them out of the pots and kind of let them dry over winter? You can really do it at any time, but wait until the kind of the foliage starts, you know, looking a little bit rough. If it is now, just pull them out of the pot, cut those stems off, and then, you know, 
put them in a paper bag and then just layer. If you got a bunch of them, make sure they're not all touching each other. Okay. Do you have to wash them off or anything? No, no, no. Definitely don't wash them. Okay. And the third thing is cutting back clematis. Should I just let it all dry till spring or cut it back? You don't need to cut it back. I mean, you don't have to. You can if it's getting too big or something. But overall, clematis does not need to be pruned. Okay, so if if it turns brown, it's going to turn green in the spring? Yeah, all those, I mean, just like uh, those brown leaves will drop off and then new growth will come out of the stems. Oh, okay. Well, then I will do that this year. Thank you very much. Yep. And with, the, you know, with the, the caladium bulbs, when you pull them out, shake all the potting mix off of them, but definitely uh-huh. do not wash them. Okay. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much. Yep. And the reason why you don't wash them is because you could create a fungus problem. Festus is where Betty lives. Hi, Betty. Hello. Hi. I, I got a question. Um, I have crepe myrtles, and I wondered, uh, when is the best time to trim them back? You've really got a huge amount of time. You want to make sure that you can wait until they're probably still flowering and everything else. The foliage still looks good. When the foliage starts dropping and the flowers in, you can prune them at that time all the way up until next spring when the new growth begins. So you got about three or four months. So sometime, let's say, between mid to late November all the way up until uh, weather dependent, maybe the first of, or mid-April. Okay. And what about uh, knockout roses? Uh, you don't necessarily have to prune those unless you just want to. But if you want to, wait until they finish flowering, till the foliage starts dropping off, and then prune them at that time. Okay. Well, they're getting big, so I, I don't want them to be real, real big. Well, they're going to, you know, I mean, they get big for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much for your time. Sure. Well, thank you for having me on your show. Yeah, the knockout roses, uh, I cut mine back because I have them in pots. Then I put them in the garage. So, but outside, you don't have to prune them. You can wait until next, you know, next year, you know, again, as the new growth begins, you can prune them at that time. So you can do it sooner if you like. Ken in Sunset Hills, how are you? Good. How you doing, Mike? Good. I've just had my uh, yard aerated and power raked, and I need to know if it's advantageous to put uh, topsoil down with the seed at the same time and fertilize also. Uh, you're probably better off to use compost as opposed to topsoil. Okay. Because basically that's going to fall down in the aerated holes, and you're going to feed your soil better that way than if you put topsoil down on it. So I can just sprinkle it on the grass? I don't have to put it down with a spreader? No, you don't have to use a spreader. You can basically, a lot of people don't have spreaders that can use, can work with a compost. So what you can do is just dump out piles of it, turn like a garden rake upside down and just kind of rake it and wherever, you know, lands or wherever it goes, that's fine. You don't have to be precise with it. Okay, great. Thank you. Yep. And, I mean, ideally you should be precise, but it's not, I mean, it's pretty much impossible to do. So thanks, Ken. And now let's go out to St. Peter's and see what's going on with Jane. Hi, Jane. Hi there. Love your show. Um, I have a question. I have um, three-fourths of my front yard is zoysia, and I have one little area where it's all dying, and I believe that is not zoysia yet. It hasn't taken over. Would today be a good day to put plugs in, or what do you, what do you suggest? Uh, if the garden center still have zoysia sod and zoysia plugs, that's fine. Are you talking about plugging your out of your own my, lawn? My Yes, my own. So taking plugs out of your existing lawn. We, you know... 
it's going to be a little bit iffy because we don't know what the weather's going to be like. What I would do is just call your favorite garden center and see if they still have zoysia sod or plugs available to sell. Because if they do, then I would say go ahead and do it. If they don't, then it's probably what they're finding or what they're thinking or what the production nursery where they, you know, this, let's say the sod farm where they get their sod, it's, you know, stop cutting because they don't think it's going to have a chance to get, you know, a, a well-established root system before winter comes. So, sure. I mean, right. it's kind of using your garden center as a way that you don't necessarily, I mean, it's kind of cheating, but that's just the way it goes. Right. Right. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you so much. And I love your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And if you do the plugging in because they've still got sod or plugs themselves, just make sure that the, you know, you really water the area first and you get them well established and make sure when you do the plugs, you pull them out and they have a good root system. So, you know, with sod, it's usually going to be about probably an inch or two at the most of grass blades and then an inch or so or plus of the root system. And so if you don't have adequate root system, then you're totally wasting your time. Mary in Benton, Illinois, how are you? I'm fine, Mike. Good morning. Hi. I, I called you earlier this year. We had a Norway spruce that was planted in 2004, and it was just beautiful, came through the winter just fine, and then you, it, would, it just was dying immediately, just rapidly, and you explained that it was a vascular disease and there was nothing could be done. So we we it had been such a hot summer that we postponed taking the tree out, and we're going to do that soon. And we know that the the tree service will grind the stump or something. And you've I've listened to you long enough to know that um, root system you know is going to be under the ground and, right. and, and hinder anything that we, you know, we would try to plant. But we know someone who um, has trenching equipment. I'm not mechanical. I don't know if it's an inloader. I don't know what it is, but yeah, this this person with this equipment, I know he works with a plumber and he, he digs trenches. We could get him, after the tree's gone and they've ground the stump, we could get him to come and, and uh, try to get under there and and do get as much of those roots as possible. Would that help? Would, it, would that enable us to be able to plant something there? The only thing that I worry about doing that is when he's doing this trenching, yes, he, he can tear up the root system and it's going to accelerate, the, let's say, the... Uh, imploding of the root system overall. He's probably not going to be able to get it all, but it would certainly help. But also by doing that, he's going to be bringing up subsoil that's kind of deeper down into the ground, and that's going to end up being on the surface, and that's not going to be good for anything that you put there. I see. I see. So we, how, 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 how long a time would we need to wait? Uh, well, right the, where the trunk roots. is, within, let's say, where the trunk is, out, let's say, three or four feet, it could take several years because it's pretty much solid wood right underneath there. The further out you go, it's going to be, you know, it's still going to be a year or two because those roots are still going to stay viable and they're still going to be uptaking nutrients and moisture. So, but right on that spot where the trunk is, it could be, you know, depending upon how big the tree was and everything else, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be a while. There's no getting around it. You think it would be like five years, ten years? Yeah, not ten. Probably any place between three and four or five years. Okay, okay. Now I have a second question. Um, the, the kid that helps the man that, that mows the yard, he 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 mowed down my dandelions. This, not my dandelions, my daffodils this spring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I know they're 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 gone. Their history. So I thought, well, you know, I can't keep doing that. So. I got. A, I have a pot, and I have potting mix, and I have bulbs, and I, I'm not going to do this till the end of end of October. But and I know how to plant them. But but 
what happens after that? Can I put them in the garage? How much do I water them? And so forth. Basically, I plant a lot of spring flowering bulbs in pots. And I don't know how big the pot is that you have, but just make sure there's going to be about an inch plus of potting mix before the, you know, between the edge of the pot and where the bulb is. And so that will add as an insulation. And I just leave mine outside. You do? Yeah. Uh, which, which side of the house? <laughs> I've got them, let's see, I have them on the west, I have them on the north, and then I have some on the south. I see. And, and, and the, you, do you water them at all during the winter? Basically, they're out and fully exposed, so when it rains, it rains and anything else. If it was an extended period of time where there was no rainfall, let's say three plus week or two or three weeks, I'd probably take it a, buck of water, a bucket of water out there. But uh, beyond that, uh, you know, I don't, uh, whatever happens, happens. Okay, okay. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I, I, I enjoy your program. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Thanks, Mary. And Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got about 10 minutes left. And then at 10 o'clock, Investing Sense with Andy Smith and Bob Richards, 11:10. That'll be the Airman Total Access pregame show with Alex Ferraro, and then at 12.05, the Cardinals at the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. Uh, I hope the Cardinals do well. We've actually been to Chicago several times to watch Cardinal games at Wrigley Field. The, the fans are really kind of nice, even though they see we're Cardinals and every, we're Cardinal fans and everything else. So it's kind of a cool place. Tom lives in Troy, Missouri. Tom, Tom how are you? Hi, fine, Mike. Good morning. Thanks uh, for taking my call. Sure. Quick question about ivy, uh, and I think this is what this is, is the English ivy or old English ivy. It's We've got it on a shop building. Uh, it's along the front wall of the building, and between that front wall and the sidewalk that runs along the building, there's about a two-foot space. And I know it, it seems to naturally want to kind of vine up the building. Right. So, so two questions. I'm trying to kind of use it uh, as a ground cover as well, trying to redirect it literally pull the vines down and try to redirect it for a ground cover for that area. So two questions, is it even appropriate for that? And if so, am I doing the right thing by just trying to pull those vines down and push them out, redirect them? Uh, the space that you want it to be a ground cover in, is it solid ivy already? It is not. It, it, it's taken, it's, it's pretty much taken over most of it, but there's a few chunks that are just some grass and things we're trying to knock back. Our our intent is to get it to take over that entire area. Right, we'd like it to. So you can pull it and you know bend it, but if you break the stem, it's probably not going to root. It's you know it's not going to root. But just know that this is going to be a constant process. That it's always going to win. You know any kind of ivy that you're describing that you know Baltic Bulgarian. You know, Boston Ivy, they all are natural climbers. So whether it's okay. a tree trunk or the side of your building, yes, but just know that as time goes on, it's going to continue to try to climb. Okay, so it just it could do it, but just we would constantly have to redirect it or whatever. Right. Like, Okay, very good. Thank you. Appreciate yeah, it. Sure. And an alternative, let's say you don't want to necessarily yank this out, but there's a type of periwinkle called Vinca Minor. It's a evergreen ground cover as well. It has blue flowers in the springtime. It does not climb. So that's an option for you. And let's go to Tom in Illinois. Hi, Tom. Hey, good morning. How are you? Very good. Hey, I have a tree in the backyard. I heard you talking a little bit about some trees earlier. 
I believe the species is a poplar tulip. has little white fuzzy insects on it that are dropping honeydew everywhere. It's came back now that it's fall, but pretty much through spring, summer, um, any vehicle underneath of it will get covered with that honeydew sap. Right. Uh, well, excrement or whatever it is. <laughs> uh, just wondering, the tree, you were talking about treating trees earlier, this thing is 30, 40 foot tall, so I don't think I would be able to get to the top of that. Is there an injection you were talking about? Yeah, you could probably... Yeah, get a hold of your favorite tree service and have them come out and take a look at it. What you have is something called mealy, M-E-A-L-Y, mealy bug, and they look like yep. little bitty pieces of cotton. But, yeah, so, I yep. mean, you may have aphids as well, but this tulip poplar tree is very prone to aphid problems as well as the mealy bug problems. Outstanding, outstanding. Hey, Cardinal Red looks good at Arrowhead. Let everybody know. <laughs> Very Thank good. You, Have a good day. Sure. And yeah, it's unfortunate, but uh, yeah, a tree underneath that, or a car sitting underneath a tree like that, yikes, it's going to be so sticky. And that stuff is hard to get off even at a car wash. Let's go now to Rich's yard in Edwardsville. Hi, Rich. Yeah, good morning. Um, I've got two questions for you. First one is a maple tree I had planted in the backyard. Uh, about two years ago, it's uh, bigger than I could handle, so I had it planted. It's uh, about a four- or five-inch trunk. Ooh. Anyway, um, when they planted it, they naturally put a put a berm around it. Um, and I noticed the other day that there's uh, some roots that are actually at the surface of that of that berm. Uh, they're about three-quarters inch in diameter. Uh if I decide to flatten that berm, can I can I cut those roots, or would I be damaging the tree? You'd be damaging the tree major. Okay. That tells me that I can leave that alone then. Uh, second question is, uh, I have two Japanese uh, emperor maples, and uh, this year for the first time, uh, I had some trouble with the leaves. Um, uh, I, I examined the leaves on both trees. Uh, as closely as I could, um, but uh, some of the leaves that they've been—I assume they're being eaten uh, so badly—it's—it's uh, it's almost like lace. There's so many holes in them. Uh, any thoughts on that? That's probably Japanese beetles. You know what? I did—I really didn't find any on there. I mean, there's a few other insects that you know turn foliage to lace, but they're the ones that do it major. So. Uh, that would be my guess, and I would just, you know, there's not really too much else you can do. You know, insecticides have to get right onto the insect, you know, the insect. Okay, so there's nothing I can really spray on, on, the, on the tree itself? No, though. basically not. Okay, well, I'll let you go. That's what I need to know, and uh, <laughs> thanks for being on my show. Sure, well, thank you. And let's see, Barbara, if you can do it really, really quick. I think so. I've got a two knockout roses I want to transplant. Can I do that in the fall, or is it better? More success in the spring. More, More successful in the spring. Okay. That's what I wanted to verify. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much for your show. Well, thank you. And also, in the springtime, do it before the roses actually start leafing out. So you can cut it back as you know. You know you can, I don't know how big they are or anything else, but cut about half of them off. Get the new location ready so you can move it straight into the new location, sunny location, and you've probably had a got you know you've had good experience with the knockout roses, so you know how tough and durable they are. So that's uh, 
that's going to be about it for today. So I certainly appreciate everybody who called in and Dennis from Catawissa that called about his success with straw over grass seed versus straw or no grass or grass seed with no straw. He sent me an email. He sent me pictures. So I you know, appreciate that. So it's, you know, it's comments, questions, and concerns that I like to hear. And as much as my head is partly it's so big, I can barely get through a doorway because I have this huge head. I still, you know, out there, everything is different in every different location. So again, thanks for having me on your show. I greatly appreciate it. And I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.